welcome to Game Breaking Feature, the podcast where we analyze and discuss common elements of modern video game design and development. My name is Stephen Bennett, and in this episode, we'll be talking about escort missions and NPC companions, the time in games when you have to help or be helped by the inhabitants of our favorite game worlds. To help me discuss NPC companions is a man who always helps me climb up these crates so I can pull the switch that turns on our microphones. It's my good friend, Jared Bruner. Jared, how you doing, man? It was a close one today. I almost didn't get to it. I had people coming after me, but you did a good job of looking out and making sure I could complete that objective. I'm sorry I was a bit slow on that. When I was writing these notes, I was so tempted to write a joke about how playing Apex with you is like having an escort mission all the time. Thanks. You're welcome. (laughs) I wasn't ready for that bit of realness this early in the morning. That hit you pretty hard. I'm sorry, man. I shouldn't have done that to you. It's okay. (laughs) I'm just exercising those muscles for you. Making sure that uh, you get to practice that part of your gameplay. I get real, real good at escort missions playing Apex with you. (laughs) Real good at them. (laughs) Jared. Yes. Today on our show, we have an absolutely amazing guest, someone I'm I'm super honored to have on here. Uh, He's a writer and director behind many incredible games, including Thomas Was Alone, Subsurface Circular, and the brand new John Wick Hex. Please welcome to the show, Mike Bithel. Mike, how are you, man? Welcome. I'm good, man. I'm running around in a circle intersecting a wall. That's my uh, that's my role here in the escort. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Uh, you were designed in the Nintendo sixty four era, <laughs> dude. Congratulations on the release of John Wick Hex. That wasn't that Thank wasn't you. too long ago, man. Very fun game, by the way. I uh, thanks in, a lot. In, in anticipation of having you on the show, I picked it up and highly recommend it to anybody who's a fan of the John Wick films. You guys did a great job capturing that John Wick feeling of being a badass. It's really that's really kind. Thank you. Not another way Thank to you. not another way to put it. For, for our listeners who haven't had a chance to see anything about it or play it yet, can you quickly explain what John Wick Hex is? Yeah, so the, the, the PR term that I have to repeat into a mirror five times before every <laughs> interview is uh, timeline strategy. That was the agreed-upon term. All right. It's essentially, it's the idea of taking John Wick and trying to put you in his mindset, making something that's about how he figures out how to work his way through spaces. And obviously, he's John Wick, so he doesn't do that necessarily in the most friendly way. And then acting on it. It's got that kind of weird hybrid feel of being strategy mixed with kind of a turn-based, but it's not really turn-based because you're putting these actions onto a timeline. So it's almost like video editing for action movies and then combined with fight choreography and and, and action scene planning, uh, you know, and we had this amazing experience of working with the director of the movies and the stunt teams and everything to kind of figure out how to kind of translate what they've done in the films to a video game. So it was a really weird interesting collaboration to kind of figure that all out. How did this project come about? Is this something that you came up with that you wanted to do and, and had to go to the studios or did they come to you to ask you to make a game? Like where did this, where did the project originate from? So it came from them, the studio Lionsgate, uh, who make the movies. Uh, they had done this one other John Wick game. There was a VR game uh, some years ago, um, but they wanted to do something new. Uh, so they were talking to a publisher called Good Shepherd about doing something with John Wick. Uh, my understanding is they went to a bunch of studios to kind of get pitches for that, got a lot of pitches, which were basically a third-person shooter that wasn't very interesting. Mm-hmm. And then they said, well, let's do, let's do, we want to do something interesting and different. It's John Wick. It should be original. And then, I don't know, my name came up uh, and they reached out. So it's uh, it's been weird. It was fun. It was a weird phone call to get, but it was an interesting one to kind of prototype and figure out. We were already kind of thinking of doing something John Wick inspired anyway. Uh, so it kind of was the perfect timing as well for us to wow. kind of build a prototype around that. That's wild. Um, so yeah, it was just, it was a really nice kind of conflation of events. I think it was generally known that I'm a big fan of the franchise and, and yeah, I guess I must've mentioned it one too many times uh, <laughs> publicly. It's like 
someone just please give let him make a John Wick game so he can stop talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, I think I think that's what it was. <laughs> it's gonna be surreal. Like get to working on something that uh, you've already been a fan of. It was weird because we had um, I remember we had a a prototype for a game, and it's a game that we're probably gonna make at some point properly. Like we've got this prototype. It's interesting. It's fun. And one of the core mechanics of it was a fight move I'd never seen in a movie. And I remember going to see John Wick 2 and it featuring, I'm not going to say what it is, but that thing prominently and being gutted and being like, John Wick has ruined my my brilliant idea for this game. Um, I'm finished. Yeah, it's, it's, weird. it's weird how those things kind of come around sometimes. So yeah. And what was cool as well is that kind of, because of that collaboration, if we just made something that was John Wick kind of inspired without them, I think we would have made something much worse. I think what was what was fascinating here was the getting into the mindset of the people who make these things. You can kind of get that deeper understanding. Uh, it's it's a it's a yes, it's a name. It's cool to have a you know a franchise and a, and a a name that has some kind of marketing power. But what you realize quickly is that that name comes with all of these really talented people who you know want to make sure that there's not a you know a shit John Wick game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so it was a nice kind of opportunity there to kind of collaborate and figure that stuff out with them. It was really early on in the process that Lionsgate said they didn't want a third-person shooter. Like, was that up front with them? Um, I think it was. I don't think it was necessarily. I think it was they wanted something interesting. I don't think anyone specifically said that to me. Mm. Um, I found out later that they'd had some pitches for those kind of games, and and I think it was just a, you know a concern that that wasn't original or interesting enough with John Wick. Because John Wick is. It's very easy now to forget this because John Wick is this mega franchise. But it's this weird indie film which no one in Hollywood wanted because it was this such a ridiculously strange idea for a movie and mm-hmm. and the uh, you know bad things happen to animals <laughs> you yeah. know oh, yeah. there's a lot of reasons that Hollywood mm-hmm. wouldn't want to make that movie so I think they still see it as this kind of really successful indie movie and I think they wanted something that had that kind of that flair and was you know different in the game space rather than just doing something that felt like you know you were sticking John Wick it's, it'd be very easy to take a kind of generic action game and put some neon lights on the walls and you know put some dance music under it and wow it's john wick but yeah you, you're not actually kind of going kind of get to that so i think they were looking for something interesting i don't think they knew what they wanted frankly that's my job um and then yeah when we i flew over to hollywood with like a very flawed frankly in retrospect kind of prototype somehow managed to blag my way through that through that pitch <laughs> um and then we you know got to work for a year and a half kind of making that good how has everything been since launch yeah, really good. It, it came out, it's uh, Epic Store exclusive. Uh, so it's on that kind of, in that specific space. It's doing really well. I think it's our, um, it's by some way our best launch we've ever had from kind of a, from the boring kind of business side of it, uh, angle of things, which is good. And now we're just kind of, yeah, doing the work to kind of get it to other place or places that we we've not announced yet. It's off to a good start. It's because it's kind of it didn't launch on everything at the same time. It's it's this kind of interesting kind of staggered release, which is going to be interesting to kind of go through and see if we can keep. Hopefully, we can keep interest and keep attention as we do that. But uh, but yeah, it was it's definitely had a good start. Now we now we build on that. You've you've made all different kinds of games. Thomas was alone. It's like a puzzle platformer, circular games, these like narrative driven text adventure games, and John Wick Hex being this. What was the term you used? I, I, I wrote tactics in the show notes because it was sort of the best yeah. I could come up with. But Yeah, no, ta- I, I completely, I, as long as no no one involved in the PR of the game is listening, I'm fine with <laughs> tactics being used okay. as a term for it. <laughs> turn-based strategy annoys me just because it's not turn-based, but, yeah, but that's not exactly. pretentious game designer nonsense. 
It feels um, like they say it, timeline strategy. That's what they. That's the. That's the approved term. timeline. Strategy. It feels like a rhythm game, kind of. Kind of feels it's like definitely a got bit. a little bit of that. That kind of yeah. timed element. Yeah. I was gonna say I was a little disappointed. I didn't get to pitch Lionsgate my uh, John Wick DDR mix-up. <laughs> well, there's, <laughs> there's that interesting. Have you played on what's it called? Pistol Whip in VR, which is this kind no. of DDR, uh, DDR time crisis mm-hmm. kind of thing, which. Oh. I've seen people kind of referring to that as a bit John Wicky, and it's that's really fun. Okay, I'm apparently that game's a workout. Apparently that game it is. is a I I I'm act genuinely. I'm stood here talking to you on my, at my standing desk, and like my legs are aching from playing it for like <laughs> ten minutes yesterday. I'm. I mean, I'm I'm a game developer, so I'm not in the best of shape, of course. But <laughs> well, I'm a uh, podcaster. Neither am I. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's uh, it was uh, that's a no, that's a nice one. Then that's the thing is, I think I think John Wick actually is kind of. There's a universality to it. There's a lot of different ways you could do it. I think our idea was was really cool and interesting, but I'm sure, you know, several years from now, there'll be other John Wick games that do things in completely different ways. I'd love it if that was the the legacy of our project was doing weird license mm-hmm. games. It's been really, really interesting talking to, because obviously when you have a game that does well, um, other conversations start up, right? Mm. Um, and it's been interesting having conversations with people and also with other developers who are starting... Basically, license holders definitely looked at what we've done with John Wick Hex and went, oh, we're allowed to make interesting games with IP. That's mm-hmm. interesting. And they saw, like, you know, the good press it got and kind of the visibility that the brand got as a result. And it's 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 been really interesting hearing stories that, like, John Wick Hex has become, hopefully, this kind of inspiration for some other interesting stuff, uh, which is really cool. I'd love that to be its legacy. That would be fantastic. It kind of feels like we're in a, this golden age of video game movie tie-ins. They kind of, yeah. Historically, have been not awesome but now mm-hmm. it seems like the studios are investing a bit more into into doing unique things with it it's because the suits all play golden eye i mean I, yeah. I keep coming back to that and it's true like that's when you when you go to like a meeting with like hollywood executives probably shouldn't call them suits it's a bit rude isn't it um <laughs> but when you go and talk to the, the folks in hollywood they have played games you know the both in terms of like the executives who are obviously the ones making lots of the business calls uh, but then the creatives as well. You know, we were, I was sat with um, uh, Chad and the editor as they directed, as they as they cut the third movie. And we were talking about video games. You know, they were talking about stuff they, Chad was talking about stuff he liked in Assassin's Creed and stuff like that. And it's like, you do have this shared language now. It's not this kind of, we're not this weird entertainment stepchild that no one really kind of knows outside of uh, the hardcore. Now it's a point where you go into meetings with Hollywood people and they know games. Um, it's not just something their kids are into anymore. It's something they grew up with, which mm-hmm. I think is a big, and everyone wants to make good stuff. You know, people don't want to make, they don't want to have a bad thing associated with their license. Is there a genre that you want to tackle, but haven't had an opportunity to yet? Absolutely. Uh, I'm not going to tell you. Are you, able, are, you able, <laughs> um, are you able to explore that further with us? <laughs> this is where, no. this is where I'm a bad interviewer because the, the, the number one rule to interviewing is you don't ask yes or no questions because if you yeah. get a yes or no, you're just left flat. And uh, yeah, exactly. And, and as, as I write it's my an show amazing opportunity, show, the people who do interviews are trained to take advantage mm-hmm. of when the opportunity arises. And it's always like depressing to me when I look back at my show notes and I'm like, wow, like seventy five percent of the questions I wrote were yes or no <laughs> questions, and yet the guest was like gracious enough to like continue to answer the questions. And this question. is this is the first time someone's been. <laughs> this is yeah, I know you're yeah. you're putting me through my paces here, Mike. I no, like it. Good. I no, appreciate it. <laughs> no, I so so the honest answer is yes, there are, but I'm I'm either in the process of actively kind of playing with some of those ideas, or I hope to in the future, so I keep it to myself. Okay. Um, but yeah, no, there's. 
I think we're always, we've definitely as a studio always done well when we've surprised people. I think the fact that if you're a fan of our games, you have no idea what we're going to do next. I think that's kind mm-hmm. of fun. That's something I like. Uh, we like surprising people. I really enjoy, especially with like the circular games where we just announce them at the point where you can pick them up. There's no pre-marketing on them. That's just cool. That's fun to be, it feels like you're giving people a, well, you're giving people a Christmas present, but you're also asking them to pay you for it. So it's not quite a perfect analogy, <laughs> but like there's something about that that's really fun and satisfying. So for now it's, yeah, there's there's definitely stuff we're playing with. I, our next game that we release is something we've not made before. I can say that much. Like we're going to keep cool. doing weird stuff. And again, I will say John Wick Hex, very fun. If you haven't had a chance to check it out, it is on the Epic Store. It's a blast. You feel like John Wick. You definitely feel like a badass when you're playing it. So please go check that out or, or just, just check out any of, any of Mike's games. They're all great. All different. Oh, it's very kind. And if you don't like one of them, you might like all the others because, yeah, they're completely different from each other. No, that's Im- that's impossible. It's impossible to not like one of the games. Oh, that's <laughs> very generous. Steven has I said like it. this it podcast. Is- <laughs> I agree wholeheartedly with your statement. Um, you're very wise. There's just an intelligence about you that I'm really drawn to. As a- I'm glad you're picking Thank up you, on Mike, that, creator. Mike. You're the you're the first person to ever say that. Make <laughs> <laughs> it till you make it. Today we're 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 all gathered here to talk about escort missions, and then we can unleash the collective groan at the at the term escort missions but we typically start this out with a little history lesson jared where did escort missions start out this was another one that was sort of hard to track down one of the earliest examples that we found was an arcade game called flicky in 1984 it was designed by yoji shi and released by sega as a arcade cabinet and a genesis version was released a few years later in 1991 and in this game you control a bird that must guide a flock of chicks called chirps through each stage of the game and you have to gather the chirps on each stage and lead them in a single file line to the exit. And they can be disrupted and scattered by the game's antagonist, Tiger and Iggy, if they come in contact with any of the chips. You collect the chicks, they follow in like a little chain behind you, and if they, if they touch any of the bad guys, they all scatter and run away. And you're just trying to get a high score without getting killed by the bad guys. A lot of our mechanics that we talk about are sort of core mechanics. This has really not ever been focus of any one game so tracking down the first one was a little bit tricky but this is a really early example of that i wish there was like some sort of collected database of like all the mechanics in all video games that you could just search well i of course i wish for that i just want my job as a podcaster to be to be easier but this (laughs) this was one of the earliest uh examples i could find yeah where where the mechanic was front and center we should just write a book about we should just like put a book together of of Dude, I've been I've been mechanics. thinking about it. The more like, been, all this the stuff more seems spread this. out all over the place, and it's kind of hard to find like a really good it is. consensus of you know like a video game almanac or something. I will say though, if people are interested in like the history of game design and they're wondering like, oh, what was the first game to include a mechanic like this? Giant Bomb's wiki site is actually pretty decent at, at mm. keeping track of all the games that include mechanics like that. I won't say that's where I get all of my information from because I have for a lot of these episodes, I do a lot of research just outside of that. But it's a great it's a definitely a great starting point for all of this stuff. Mike, do you have any experience with Flicky? This is a game I, I never played. I, the, my no, only I've never played is, this. Yeah, this was I've a never weird played one. This. They've um, they said so Sega has included Flicky and the chirps in others of their games uh, just as like background characters and stuff. But this is one that I had never even heard of until I was doing the research for this episode. Apparently it reviewed it had mixed reviews when it came out. Uh, mm. People saying that it was uh, the graphics were pretty poor, which if you look at the game, they do kind of 
the, the graphics aren't great. It's pretty it's pretty simple. For something that came out in the but, Genesis, it does look a little dated. Yeah. Yeah, even for that even for the time, it, it's mm. it's a little simplistic, especially when you compare it to something like as vibrant as Sonic, you know, like yeah. th- that game is so lively. I'm looking at the uh, box art for Flicky and it's like kind of horrifyingly realistic. It's like a, it's a <laughs> yeah. this bird about to get It's the it's the angle of the eye on the bird like yeah. looking up, knowing what's coming. It's, uh, it's a horror movie. There is, yeah, exactly. But I guess people eventually did really like the the challenge of the game, even if they didn't really care for the aesthetic of the game. But anyway, that's Flicky. Uh, go 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 uh, check Flicky out. I guess if you're interested in or don't or don't. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think I think as we're going to discuss, escort missions have kind of gone through significant changes over the years. Maybe don't go back and revisit old escort mission games. <laughs> Uh, they've, they've definitely gotten better over time and probably don't hold up as well. But moving into this discussion, um, I guess maybe this is a good time for us to define what an escort mission is or, or like what an NPC companion is in sort of as it relates to escort missions. And are those two things the same? Well, I, I guess we'll settle that right here. Um, but Mike, we'll, when, we, when we talk about escort missions in games, what's the first thing that kind of springs into your mind? I think the one that comes up for me every time is is Ico. That's the one. Or Eco. I've never known mm-hmm. how to pronounce that. It's one of those words that when you say it out loud, you're, you're not confident. It's everyone's favorite game, and no one knows how to say the name of it. Exactly. And, and, and it's interesting. Like You go back and replay it, and it's definitely very much a game of its time in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. But, the, um, but yeah, that to me is like the quintessential, what I would call like a true escort mission, where, where that, that other character has agency, can fail. I think we'll get to this, but as, as time has progressed, I think we've kind of sanded the edges off of escort a little bit as a mm-hmm. concept. Yeah. I think that's the one that immediately comes to my mind as the kind of quintessential game built around a secondary NPC. Now what, what mechanics define an escort mission? Like what, what separates Ico from other games with that one? I mean, specifically it's the peril for me. It's the fact that that character can actually get damaged and hurt. It's interesting. The, the amount of literal handholding you have to do, I mean, and that literal being a mechanic in itself, is interesting because I think what, a lot of the issues that come up often with escort missions and, and and these kind of companion NPCs is that they you know, they run the wrong way, they do something stupid, they get in the way, uh, they somehow kind of block your agency in the world. Uh, whereas that is almost a feature of Ico is that this is not a a character who can kind of do their own thing. I guess that's I'm, I'm I'm realizing as I say that's kind of what I like about it is that it is this kind of fragile character that needs support and help. Mm-hmm. Whereas I feel like some of the kind of less successful ones from that era were the ones where you had a badass working with you, but it was a badass that would do something stupid and get in trouble. Now, Jared, how about you? What springs to your mind when you're thinking about escort missions? Like, like how do you define the mechanics that typically revolve around escort missions? I think Ico is a really good example because you know, like I said escort missions are usually kind of a, a one-off thing in a game that doesn't typically revolve around that mechanic uh, and Ico made that the entire game and it was really well received for it but off the top of my head one of the first games that comes to mind because it was so frustrating was GoldenEye and the archives level where you have to protect Natalia that that is super frustrating and that's the thing that I when I hear escort mission I'm like I'm having flashbacks so at the top of my head it doesn't come off as like one of my favorite mechanics are we including things like companions? I immediately think of games like Skyrim, where you have a, a follower that, that can tag around with you, or the Fallout games, or I guess I'll just mm. say Bethesda games. 
Um, are, are we sort of including those in this discussion? Because I feel like there's a lot of overlap between these two things in that you don't have control of the, the character following you. And uh, they can do dumb stuff sometimes. They can get themselves in trouble. Is the difference success criteria? I think the, so. Because the, there's obviously companions is one thing, but for Escort, mm -hmm. I feel like their survival, they're getting through the level mm -hmm. with you. Uh, is the is the thing that defines I'm less frustrated or in that era I, we don't see this so much now but in that era I was I was much less frustrated by characters who were optional they were pickups they were power ups right they were like they were there but they weren't if they died okay mm -hmm. um, whereas I think with yeah the frustration with escorts is that they are that to win you have to they have to win as well uh, and you're relying on them now I guess for the sake of due diligence in this discussion how would a game like Thomas was alone fit into this does because huh. that's a game where you're relying on the, you know, the, the different characters to mm. get through a stage, but you can swap agency between like you as the player can take control of each of them. Are we counting something like that as an escort mission or is that something different entirely? It's weird that you get to encounter death of the artist as a theoretical model. So literally, <laughs> um, Actually, I'm interested in your answers before I give mine. I feel like I'm, I'm, I care more about what you guys think than what I think on this one. Uh, no, is my answer. <laughs> short, short and sweet. I feel like I feel like having agency over those characters precludes them from the discussion of if it's an escort mission, because again, the sort of the outcome as we're talking about it is not based on the companion's capability to get through the level. It's you as the player. So I I wouldn't count them in this discussion, but. It, it to me, I thought it was interesting because narratively they're companions. They all have mm -hmm. all the different shapes have have characters and attitudes that come through in their like in the story and in their design. From a from a narrative standpoint, I would say yeah, sure. They're it's kind of like they're they're companions, but I think in the traditional way that we consider escort missions, I, I wouldn't consider them escort mission. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. I think I think to me that it's it's more akin to like it's like if you assumed every unit in an RTS. You know, it's not that, is it? It's mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're tendrils of your many faceted capabilities mm -hmm. within the game. So yeah, I, I don't, I consider it. A, it's definitely. A, I've seen it talked about as a co-op game, and I that blows my mind. Um, it's de <laughs> it's definitely not. It's a it's a straightforward. Yeah, you know, I I see it as one as one player experience. Yeah, I wouldn't classify that as an escort mission or even companion them because they're not doing anything of their own volition. If mm -hmm. if when you weren't controlling them, they were up to their own nonsense. Fair enough, but everyone just sits there very politely waiting mm -hmm. their turn because I wasn't very good at programming AI uh, when I made it. So that's, yeah, maybe if I'd been better at my job, they would be uh, companion AIs. Now, speaking of weird titling, have either of you seen the movie Locke with uh, Tom Hardy? No. It's been on my to-watch list forever. If it's on your to-watch list, definitely get around Is to that it. the one I, where he's I, in a it, car for the whole movie? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, I, got, it's my taste like in a perfect movie form. I have to watch it. It's exactly it is. The kind of film I like. It is phenomenal. Um, and as we get really far off track here, uh, I saw one review of the the film call it an edge of your seat thrill ride, which I thought was hilarious because because uh, <laughs> I I would not have classified it that way. But all right, <laughs> well, he is literally riding a car in a seat, I, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, they're the very literal review. They just read the title. <laughs> they just saw the concept, and they're just like, "Yeah, that yeah. sounds good." <laughs> Didn't see it. So. Um, Mike, are you playing any games currently that, that include escort missions? See, I don't think I've played a game in a long time that has... I think we've moved to this aesthetic. So I'm playing um, Fallen Order, which 10 years ago would have been 
a companion AI for uh, for BD1, who there's not an action figure of, which really upsets me. Um, so I want a little BD1 for my desk. Soon. Um, there must be one. They got to be soon. working on it. Star Wars. They must trust. Be. Trust me. Star Wars. They don't. Uh, it's they don't slack on selling it. toys. You know. They'll get to it. Funko <laughs> Pop incoming. Sure. Oh God, that's a whole other thing. Um, <laughs> so so BD1 in that is aesthetically a companion. In the same way as, you know, Ellie in Last of Us or um, I guess the kid in God of War occupies a different space. But like it's yeah, that's that to me is where these escorts and these companion characters have got to is something like mm-hmm. BD1 where it has the aesthetics, kind of like Thomas was alone, I guess, the aesthetics of being another character who you're interacting with. But it can't die. It can't get in trouble. It will do exactly what you want at all times. Uh, so basically just becomes an extension. It's essentially just a. It's all it is is a visualization of context interactions, but it feels like a character because they've animated it well, because they've done excellent sound work with it, you know, all of that stuff. So it's, I guess that's probably the closest I've played for a little while. God of War is a game that I've been playing recently, and and even though I feel like I've been playing it forever, I'm sure I'm still early in in the game. But I think that this is sort of the the modern interpretation of escort missions. And I, I feel like 15 years ago, when you would mention the term escort mission, it would everyone would groan because there is that that leftover sour taste in everyone's mouth from games like GoldenEye and Perfect Dark and these games that had like really wonky companions that you had to lead through these levels. But now we're at a point where it certainly seems like you can build entire games around an escort mission. But it is interesting that in these games, the companion is not often, they're not in peril in a way that's significant to the gameplay. Um, they don't exist in the, the ludic space, to use a pretentious mm-hmm. term. They, they're no, not actually present in that interaction. I, I think that might be one of the improvements of escort missions over the years. I hate using um, positive and negative language like that. But mm. uh, I think about a game like oh, Resident Evil, was it Resident Evil 5? Where like if you're because mm-hmm. that game you, you play through the whole game with the you know the secondary character is uh, with you the whole time and you someone can you can plug in a second controller and someone can play that that uh, other character but um, if that character dies like you know if you're playing single player and that character dies it it gives you a game over like you gotta mm-hmm. you gotta restart and you don't have any control over what that character does. Um, so in a way I kind of feel like it has been an improvement to have these games like God of War. Or like The Last of Us, where uh, the other character is is not truly in peril in a way that affects the gameplay. Really, in Resident Evil Five, you couldn't control the other character. Uh, someone, could, if, like I said, if you're playing two player, someone could control the other character. But uh, I, it, it, as far as my memory goes, it's been a while since I've played it. Um, it kind yeah. of existed in that time where a lot of games of you know double A or triple A were kind of shoehorning in co op. I remember there was this weird mm-hmm. kind of two, three year period where everything was doing that. Oh, and yeah, it would like... often result in these bad kind of, oh, well, we have to make it work in single player, so we'll have an escort mission as well. It was that like Kane and Lynch, Army of Two yeah. era of game design, where it's like, everyone wants to play games on their couch, let's give it to them. Now, I have a, I have a question for you, especially as someone who really liked the game Ico, or Ico, or however it's pronounced. Do you think that the reason we've seen more companions that are more capable is just as, because technology has improved. I feel like it used to be you were given a companion who was essentially narratively treated like they're incapable because mechanically they weren't able to really represent a good functioning human being in these game worlds because of the restrictions of the, the technology at the time. 
but now that the now that the uh, the AI technology has improved, do you think that that's the key reason we're seeing more of these not just functionally more capable characters, but narratively more capable characters? I'd actually argue that there's not really been an improvement in the technology. I think well, what's changed is we've removed the fail state. You know, Ellie can't be seen by zombies in Last of Us. She can run directly in front of zombies. She can interact. I don't know what they're going to do with, obviously, with Last of Us 2, but in the mm-hmm. original Last of Us, the companion character cannot be seen, cannot take damage, cannot die. She's being just as stupid as any AI in PS2 era. <laughs> um, she's running around, she's doing whatever, but you don't notice because it doesn't hurt you. Similarly with something like Bioshock, um, that character is also teleporting everywhere, moving in ways that are impossible, doing weird stuff, but because she can't take damage i believe that's true she can't be hurt she exists basically at the moments where you need something i think that's it it's a tightening of the design rather than a mm. any kind of technical thing i think as well um on the art side we've gotten really good at making characters believable and animate in interesting ways and, and move fluidly and look be- embedded in the world so that probably has helped but no fundamentally i think we solved the problem by removing the feature in most cases i think <laughs> These guys, these characters are not characters who are active in the world. You're no longer escorting someone. I mean, ultimately, these characters are often just hit disguised reloads, right? Like, and mm-hmm. and that's and that's fine, and and it can still achieve great character and, and amazing emotional arcs and all of this good good stuff. But to me, it's not the same as that historical attempt. We were trying to make characters that would hang out with you in the holodeck. That's not the case anymore. Now they are very much constructs. They're very much and I think as a player, you even know that. In God of War, you're not worrying about looking after. Actually, God of War probably, I think, the kid can take damage, right? The kid can get hurt in God of War. Is that correct? Yeah, he can get like incapacitated in combat. Um, right. So so that's 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 more of a step back to that kind of that 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 structure of the past. So that's good. Yeah, but, but like yeah, but there's no I, but there's no fail state associated with that. You right. Just don't yeah. have access to his tool set when he's being grabbed by an enemy or knocked down or whatever it is. Yeah, he's a special attack with a cooldown period. Mm-hmm. I think part fine. of it, too, is that a lot of games historically have been throwing escort missions in to break up the pace of the gameplay a little bit. So it wasn't necessarily that all of the game was designed around that mechanic. So That's where true. you're trying to balance this player's power fantasy with you know the AI, which is obviously not as good as the player. So you try to program that into your companion as just a one-off single escort mission that didn't really flow as well and it felt it stuck out way more than it does in something like god of war where the entire game and, and uh last of us you have that companion with you and it's it's a more of a narrative tool than it is a gimmick i think it's also related to kind of game design trends in general it's a really good point you're making there about it being something that was kind of a feature for a level similar to like the you know the terrible stealth section right was always mm-hmm. also a big part of these these games but i think there's been a big shift in design thinking especially in kind of the AAA end of things, from in the past, in the kind of late 90s, early 2000s, we were very much as an industry going for realism. We were basically trying to simulate the perfect reality. We were trying to make games that were deep, immersive sims, right? That were throwing as much in as possible and and trying to get that emergent gameplay out of that. And if you look at what's happened since then with AAA, it's moved away from that kind of modeling reality thing to making essentially things that lie to you very well and convincingly. There's a different art to that, you know, and it's and it's I, I, honestly I love I love a lot of those games, but it does mean 
it does it does sidestep issues. So so what you said about the reason you can beat AI in games is that they're not as good as you is true, but also it's because we as an industry decided to make AI really, really fun to kill. Absolutely. Because that's their primary function. Rather than making AI that is smart and realistic, we now make AI that are designed to be interesting challenges as you are fighting them. So it's been a kind of more of an embracing of, of games as games rather than games as simulation. Uh, so I think this is probably tied to that as well. That like We realized, okay, well, having a realistically modeled, escortable NPC that has its own wants and desires and needs, the player's not going to be aware of that. It doesn't really support the gameplay that we're making. So let's make something that, yeah, has the feeling of that, can narratively do that work, aesthetically can do that work, but is 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 really just a finely tuned addition to the core mechanics of the game. I think that's the shift in... We can call it evolution. We can say that's better or worse or whatever, but it's definitely the trend that's happened in game design over the last decade. Are there any games that do that simulated companion or simulated escort mission that you can think of nowadays? Yeah, and anything anything more recent that's that's attempting to have the recreation of reality in in a companion instead of working within the limitations. If there's an obvious one, it'll be from the indie side. I would have thought. I'm trying to think of it. If there's like a really Red Dead Redemption Two has a few escort missions where you're you know escorting a wagon oh, or you know whoever it may be and that's a game that in a lot of ways feels dated by the mechanics and has embraced the simulation they are absolutely trying to create mm-hmm. the bit, i never really felt like too frustrated with it it felt doable and no. i didn't feel like the ai was making a whole lot of silly mistakes but i think part of that also is just because like the movement of that game is so clunky intentionally and everything's an animation that uh it sort of flowed together with the rest of it it didn't stick out as much it's it, it is i think one of those mechanics that i remember you know in the late 90s early 2000s reading uh electronics gaming monthly or whatever i was reading at the time it's like everything is going to try to be realistic you won't be able to tell what's 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 real anymore because graphics are getting so good and physics are going to be awesome and it's like it turns out like we we have a lot of that technology now and sometimes that's just not that fun or or it's it's just you have this kind of uncanny valley of action as well that like you can have the most amazing photo real thing ever but the second a character runs into a wall it's all it's all for nothing right mm-hmm. exactly the the interesting thing whenever we have a design trend you tend to then have obviously the kind of the, the postmodern thing comes in and, and you have someone so it, there's I've actually kind of talked myself into thinking like in the next five years, there's going to be an amazing indie escort mission in the game because someone's going to notice that that's not being done so much anymore and, and mm-hmm. go for it. Uh, that's generally how these things work. I really like what they did with Brothers, A Tale of Two Sons, where the designers were like, well, let's just screw it. Now the player's escorting both of them at the same time. And in that game, if you don't know what it is, it's uh, a, a game where with each thumbstick, you control uh, one of you know both brothers at the same time to solve puzzles. And uh, if one of them dies, it, it's game over. So I would, I would suggest that that do is. Do they have? Do they? Do they have in that? Do they have individual actions? Is it not. It's kind of like Thomas was alone, right? That you have to be mm-hmm. moving them to, or do they? Do they go off and do their own thing a little bit? I think you have to move them all the time because okay. you you move the one brother with the right stick, one brother with the left stick, and then your shoulder buttons are the interact, and you're basically like pulling and 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 pushing objects. Brothers was a game that I had thought about when I was putting these show notes together. But I think it does kind of fall into that same, at least for, you know, for the the way that I've defined this in my own head is I think it falls into that same category as Thomas was alone. The characters don't have their own agency sure. controlling both of them. Um, but I think, you know, sort of narratively, they do they do function in that companion space. 
I don't know if that was. But they, I mean, that, they, they could have, you know, <laughs> they could have taken it in the direction where you only control one of the brothers and then you say, brother, go do this. And then the AI tries to find the path there. Uh, I, I felt like that was an interesting way around that design yeah. decision. Yeah, it certainly could have been a game that was an escort mission and they actively chose to find an alternate route to delivering that. I just realized, I sorry, sorry to interrupt. I just remembered I worked on one once. I worked on um, Dead to Rights. You remember Dead to Rights where you were a cop with a dog? Yes, I worked on that years and years and years That was ago. A, kind of a, like a, played a lot like Max Payne, if I recall. Uh, the, 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 yeah, the most recent one, which is the one I worked on, which was like the Xbox one, which I still maintain actually had a really nice fight system. But anyway, um, yeah, that one had like literally like a, a pet dog that you took around with you for the whole game mm-hmm. and could like, you know, fire off to go and do different things and stuff. And yeah, I remember there was great. one, the level that was the hardest, which I, I didn't work on, but I remember the, the pain on the level designer's face for the entirety of the time I was there <laughs> was there was a level where you were both, you had the dog, but you also you were an escorting another NPC as well. So it was a double <laughs> escort mission. Oh, man. In kind of late era Xbox 360. And it was just, I've never seen a guy look so tired. <laughs> a trying to set that all up. That's a tough one. Besides Ico, Mike, are there any like escort missions in games that stick out to you to be as being like really good examples of, of escorts, like escort missions done to their absolute pinnacle? What was the one, the one that I can remember really loving? What was the IO Freedom Fighter? Free, Freedom Fighters? Is it Freedom Fighters? Do you remember this game? I didn't, no, I don't recall this one. I did not play that. I'm going to look this up to make sure so everyone's yelling at the podcast now. So Freedom Fighters, yes, which was a classic. And, and like a lot of games, came out in 2003. Like a lot of games, it probably has aged much worse than I remember it. But Freedom Fighters was kind of this IO squad-based action game with kind of some ex-commie, but years before, you know, um, Enemy Unknown came out and kind of popularized this kind of uh, squad that you were building up. Wasn't specifically that you would have like I have to escort this character, but you would have this squad that was growing with you and that you would still care about. And when those characters, if that character died, it would have some meaning. It was kind of one of the first games to do that. And Freedom Fighters is one that you every now and again you just see someone on the internet mention. That's one I look back fondly on. I think of something a bit more, a bit more recent. Half Life Two did a bit of it as well, right? There's some stuff, some escort stuff in Half Life Two. I feel, I feel I looked after Alex a couple of times in that. It's been so long since I've played Half-Life 2. I'm a bad I'm a bad gamer. I'm a bad, <laughs> I'm a bad gamer. gamer. It's, it's a tough one to I look back I've not at. I've played it for years. I bet it's not aged great. Yeah, I'll, it's just a mechanic that hasn't aged great. I feel like if if it was <laughs> if it was adequate, you probably don't remember it and like the reason that I remember this mechanic is when it was really bad. Yeah. I want to talk about a escort mission that I thought was both good and bad simultaneously, and that is the escort mission at the end of BioShock. Do either of you guys remember this? You have to escort one of the little sisters. No. Yes, I do remember that. Yeah. At the end of the game, like you, you have to escort one of the little sisters while she extracts um, Adam. Was it called Adam? Yeah. Out mm-hmm. of some corpses around the, there's like just some corpses. You have to kind of follow her around and protect her as she goes and does this stuff. Now, functionally, I, I think that that's one of those old examples. Like it, it's more akin to like the old style of escort mission design. We have this incapable character that you literally just have to defend from getting uh, attacked, shot or hit or whatever it was. But the reason that I remember it is not because it was bad, but because I thought it was actually pretty good because it fits so well with the narrative, like what the narrative of that game was trying to do. So Bioshock, uh, I'm sure as 
it's been long enough. We can talk spoilers. Is a game that is very much about how, like, it's kind of a game about mind control, right? Like, the, yeah. the will you will you kindly do this thing? You know, is, is the keyword to get your character to do these things. And what you don't realize is that as you're playing the game, you as the player are following along with these actions, these scripts that that you have learned from playing video games for so long um, before that you you know you, you go and you shoot the bad guys because that's what you do in a video game. And all, as as you're playing through Bioshock, the whole time you're looking at these big daddies that are defending these little sisters. And the big daddies have been brainwashed to understand that, that that's their role. That's what they do. And over the end, of, the course of the end of the game, you have to disguise yourself. You have to suit up in one of the big daddy suits. And then you have to escort a little sister around. And it's putting you in the shoes of that character of the game. It, so when you ask yourself, like, how could someone be brainwashed you know how, how could someone be made to do these things that they don't really they themselves don't really want to do well you as the player are engaging in that system you are taking on that role of someone who is just going through the motions right and so in that way i think the the escort mission at the end of bioshock is actually pretty brilliant even if mechanically it's pretty plain and simple it, i think it is that because it's necessary to communicate that part of the experience to the player. It wouldn't be the same if the little sister was capable and you didn't have to do anything to help her. It, it, it really does take full advantage of those pre-built-in expectations of escort missions in video games. I like that when it ties in, yeah. that it ties in narratively. I think that aspect of it is, is pretty important because... Like I said, otherwise it sticks out. And it's just one of those things that if you don't notice it, it's probably a good thing. But it, like I said, I don't remember that part of Bioshock. It's been a long time since I played it, but it was probably fine. And I and it I don't remember it breaking my immersion in the game like some others do. What's an example of something that really breaks your immersion outside of the GoldenEye stuff? Um, Resident Evil 4. I, I just want to bring that up again just because it was such a big part of the game. Uh, I was a huge fan of the Resident Evil series for a long time and there were there were characters that are helpless in that series but they kind of disappeared and you go and solve puzzles for a long time and, and then Resident Evil 4 when it shifted to more of a focus on action they also introduced Ashley whose sole purpose is to get picked up and, and or hide in, in dumpsters and I just didn't feel like it went far enough in any direction that I cared to interact with um I'm not currently playing anything that really has a good escort mission in it. I have been playing through the Outer Worlds, and if you play that on uh, hardest difficulty, your companions, which a lot of the game revolves around learning this backstory of your companions and doing side missions with them. Mm -hmm. uh, if you play it on the hardest difficulty, they can die permanently, thus locking off huge portions of that game. And I'm playing just at the normal difficulty, and I'm finding that they are not super smart. Um, they don't really, they don't take <laughs> cover, you know, they, neither does the enemy, but uh, they, they die a lot. And uh, it's, it, you can't really control them outside of go here uh, or shoot this. So um, it, you know, they, they function more like companions at that normal difficulty level, and it's, it's fine. But, uh, can't say I've seen this mechanic that's been gated by mission failure in a while, other than Red Dead Redemption 2, maybe. Do they hit their shots? I feel like that's always been one of the things about NPC companions and escort missions is that they don't, they'll shoot a gun for a long time, but never hit anything like they're a stormtrooper. Yes. So mm -hmm. I've in that game, in Outer Worlds, I've been dumping 
skill points into like my leadership skills and i think that's affecting that and they they do quite a bit because i'm like a i'm like a nerd so i use a bunch of science weapons and they have the big guns and and they take care of that so they feel competent Mm. at shooting at least but um i don't feel maybe they're escorting me maybe that's maybe that's the the whole narrative there whoa man (laughs) <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> maybe on the escort mission jared's still riding those mushrooms from last episode yeah I yeah, yeah. Uh, absolutely <laughs> and, and but that brings up an interesting point right is how important is game balance to the design of an escort mission and and mike i'll throw this to you how do you find that sweet spot where a companion can feel like they're impacting the world but they're not playing the whole game for you how do you how do you find that that balance I imagine, I've never had to do it, but I imagine it's actually way more scripted than you'd imagine in terms of, um, so things like, for example, as you say, like accuracy, like how often they they hit with the gun, um, that's going to have nothing to do with an actual kind of test of whether, you know, they, uh, they're able to aim or whatever. It's literally going to be a, an odds, probably it's a dice roll. Probably there's, it's just saying, okay, one in five times they shoot, we want that to hit. I, if I was designing it, what I would probably do is under the hood have that kind of related to player health. So make it so that they're more successful in defending you when you're doing badly and they have less impact when you're doing well. So if you're... Because what you don't want... The two things you want to avoid are the player feeling like the uh, companion NPCs are so good that they don't need to play the game. Mm-hmm. And you also want to avoid the situation like you're saying where the NPCs feel useless. So to keep people in that sweet spot, that's probably what I'd do is I'd have some kind of system whereby the better you are, the worse they get. And then and then that would, I think, cover that, that you would basically, through the ebb and flow of combat, you'd get saved by an NPC a couple of times. You know, if you're about to die and the NPC gives, you know, takes out the guy who's about to shoot you, you're going to remember that as an awesome thing. It can't happen every time. And that's where the balancing act comes in. So Probably, I'd assume it's dice rolls and a little bit of waiting based on what the player's state is. That, that's how I would probably... That would be my first, <laughs> that'd be my first pass of balancing that. I don't know. Jared, looking back at like our, our episode that we did on game balance, that might have been one of our, at least for me, like the most difficult one to discuss. Because I think balance in games, it's like magic to me. Well, it's unique in <laughs> like every aspect in every game, right? Yeah. 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 In, in like trying to balance single player versus multiplayer and... and now talking about companions man i also have very different goals in different games as well and that's the big one is is it's badly balanced is such an impossible term to actually kind of define and when we talked to Eka also and he was talking about balancing falcon age Mm. it seems like a magic trick like balance just seems like such a magic trick in game design to me like how you ever are satisfied with where your game ends up is that's why that's why i don't make games well, I'm not I a think the reality player. is they never are. Like I think uh, that was one of the things I learned very early on in my career, like designing stuff before I was making my own games. Like when I was working as a designer on other people's games, um, I was, I think very. I, I think one of the most important lessons I learned was that like sometimes the joy is in the is in the bad balance. You know, you 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 can, you can absolutely make something just a boring shade of grey, um, and I think actually it's something we we do in our games. And I think, you know, most players seem to like it where we will actively go, no, this is going to be a mean level or this is going to be an easy level or this is going to be, you know, and you actually start to like add some noise. The trick is to have an intention. But yeah, I, it's a, it is a, it's a balancing act, but it's also, 
it's one of those things that you can never get completely right. There's always going to be someone on the internet that says your game is badly balanced. So it could be very subjective for a lot of people. It is. And also outcomes are so delayed often as well. Like, you know, you might feel like a specific combat encounter is, is, is really unfair and really mean, but it's actually because an hour ago we did a bad job of telling you where the power up is or the, the, the level up quality that you needed uh, to go into that fight. You know, it's, there's a million, we often as gamers, when we're playing games, we're encountering the symptoms and we're assuming that's the disease. And actually, like, the problem can be way back up the river. You know, something completely different and unrelated. It's what makes playtesting so much fun. I think, yeah, I think I think that's a really cool part of the discussion is how has the game taught you how to do this mechanic, right? So, like, how has the game taught you to, to escort this? Well, this is the first time you ever had, first and only time you have to do it in the game. That's probably why that can feel frustrating. But if the game does spend the time placing those mm-hmm. breadcrumbs and, and, and watering that seed, it's like, Oh, okay. So now I know how to do that. I know what to do here. I think Titanfall Two didn't really have escort missions, but your your Titan could operate autonomously, and they slowly introduced that to you throughout the narrative, and it became like a really good flow whenever you had to rely on your Titan to do its own thing in combat, and you never really felt like, oh, I'm all of a sudden being thrown into the situation with without the tools or knowledge of how I'm supposed to do that. We've talked a lot about like mechanically these these escort missions, but but narratively, have we seen like an increase in the, like the the fidelity of of the narrative uh, around these escort missions? Because now we have like these big sprawling games like like God of War, like Last of Us, um, and you know even kind of going back to a game like like Ico, where the whole game is is built around this. Are we more interested in the escort mission slash like companion style of design because? we're just now better at, at telling stories and developing those interpersonal relationships. And if so, w- like, why are we better at it? Are we better at it because uh, the graphics have improved? We were able to communicate more emotion through the look of these characters or because we can tell bigger, longer stories. Like why has there been so much more emphasis on the, like the narrative side of these escort missions where in the past it was like, uh, yeah, just protect this person while they're doing their thing. I think the biggest shift is a lot of game directors are parents now. That's the one that really jumps out to me. Basically, escort missions have always had to use a metaphor for the character you're escorting that they need help. Someone who's seen as weaker than you needs your your help and support. I think it's very telling that the metaphor has shifted from kind of a teenage boy's perspective of a damsel in distress to, you know, an older, an adult's view of, of you know, a child who needs support and help. I think that has added some pathos, added some character. I think there's certain writers and directors who've pushed this forward because they've just produced really good work. I think Last of Us is really important in that respect for just being so good at telling a story about a a parental figure that that kind of set a bar. But yeah, I think basically games are made by older people than they were 20 years ago, Uh, both physically and uh, I think in a lot of cases emotionally and intelligently as well. And it also does kind of bring up something, at least in sort of the, the, the couple of cases that, that I mentioned there, which is The Last of Us and God of War, is that in both of those cases, it is still like an older man taking care of, sure. of someone and maybe speaks to the fact that a lot of the design decisions in games are still being made by predominantly men, at least in the AAA space. Yeah. I think the interesting outlier in AAA there is Horizon Zero Dawn, which is definitely more mm-hmm. about a maternal maternal relationships so you've got the idea of being a mother 
being the mother to the world, being a, a daughter, two mothers, like there's a lot of stuff swirling in that game, mm-hmm. which I think was actually, it feels like an active attempt to do the other thing, right? It feels yeah. reactive. It feels like the the craze of that game were trying to be a bit different. And in a lot of these discussions too, revolving around gender representation in games, yeah. it's like, it's not the same thing to just take Max Payne and swap him with a female character and call the job done, you know, because it's still at the end of the day, sort of that male power fantasy. So it's mm-hmm. like having to explore those, those other things. So yeah, like in the case of, you know, exploring ideas of, of motherhood, that's something that is unique to women and, and is different than just sort of gender swapping a, a protagonist. You have to actually craft an entire story around that experience. I feel like we've jumped. How did we get here? I feel like we've gone so far off. <laughs> well, I think it's. I think it's interesting. I think it. I think it's. It's interesting that we did get here. I think it is something that I'd not thought about before this conversation. But that there is a gendered element to the idea of escort missions. Mm-hmm. Like when we look traditionally at the kind of the older games, the older examples, it is about escorting a woman, and that's inter- It's interesting that that was. Um, there, it's kind of uh, there's, it's very obvious why those decisions were made, but it, it is it is interesting that gender does touch on this subject. I feel very ill-equipped to discuss this with any sort of authority, but yes, it, it you're I think you're absolutely right, especially with with games traditionally being so male dominated. It's this is like you know when when they talk about creating like algorithms to handle stuff like policing message boards and stuff like that, <laughs> or just I guess generally policing anything that. You know, they always talk about the biases of the creator in their in the the work. You know, so you can have these like racist algorithms if if all of your programmers are white, and it's not even that they're ill intentioned. It's just that they just don't have that understanding. And I feel like that that comes through. You know, has come through in game design for a very long time. And mm-hmm. and you, I think you're absolutely right, Mike. I think it does come through in these uh, in a lot of the escort missions that we're that we're talking about here. It's a power dynamic. Yeah. Oh yeah. And that's interesting. It's it's just it's yeah. It's I don't really have any kind of insightful points. It's just something I never really thought about until we started listing off yeah. all of these, <laughs> all of these exactly. levels where you have to do escort a woman through a military base, and you're like, oh, it's actually, weird. wow, that was something going on there. You know, that was a... in in Bioshock. It's weird that you're a big daddy. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I feel like they put it right out there for us. We should have picked up on this the whole time. <laughs> it's it's almost like we are constrained by our own lived experience. And, exactly. And, Shit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I need to go right. away and like think about all of this. It's gonna mm-hmm. take hours. Yeah. And then there's also something really funny about like three dudes discussing this on a podcast. Now now I feel Finally, awkward. right? <laughs> Finally there's a place for three dudes to talk about games. I okay, you guys are pioneers. It's amazing. It's like what do you call a group of crows a murder? What do you call a group of three or more guys a podcast? Yeah. <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, yeah. That's the kind of see. This is the kind of thing. If I had thought about it beforehand, I would have done more more research in this department, so I could carry on an intelligent discussion. But now I feel like so like much of our podcast can... is just really a thought exercise. So I mean, I think it's good. Yeah. It's, it, it, we don't you don't get the chance to just step back. It's just something. A lot of these mechanics are things that have just been in games for a long time, and you don't take that step back and look at the bigger picture. And uh, yeah. you know, it's a it's a fun exercise. I think I have my answer for the uh, how can the industry improve question, Jared. <laughs> Steve, no, how can um, the industry okay. improve while we're here? Well, let me tell you the ways. I don't know, before we get to, before we get to that, did we have we touched on everything? I feel like this is a huge topic, so I, I hate to like move on if we haven't got to everything. But is there any uh, last minute thing you wanted to talk about, Mike, before we start bringing the the episode to a close on the discussion of escort missions? No, I, I feel I feel good. 
think we've covered a lot of ground, as you said. Steve, you know, you brought up Apex, and you know, I, I know you don't mean it because I am the best at that game, and mm-hmm. you'd never have to hold my hand. But uh, a lot of multiplayer games have been coming out that are asymmetrical, and a lot of people have been trying to make that work. I would like to see multiplayer escort missions. There's not a whole lot of that, and I, I think that that would be a very difficult thing to balance, so it's fun for the person who's being escorted. But I did think of something like Left 4 Dead 2, where you could pick up a garden gnome, and if you carried it to the absolute end of the entire level, which was you know like four or five scenarios long, uh, you got an achievement. I think that's all you got from it. But that was a way to uh, switch up the game a little bit, and uh, you know you were a person being escorted by other people, and I thought that was an interesting way to to look at hmm. that mechanic. And I wonder if there are other ways to explore that in the multiplayer space. What game? You said that was Left 4 Dead? Had that? Yeah, Left 4 Dead. There's a garden gnome. You could pick it up, and you couldn't shoot. All you could do is carry it, and everyone had to protect you. Didn't Half-Life 2 have something like that? Yeah. Probably. I think it did, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it's probably Interesting. crossover things. And we, we, we somehow got through this without mentioning Dog from Half-Life 2 as well, which is... Sure. Yeah. But we'll see more of that in Half-Life Alex as well. Hopefully. Hopefully. Oh, God, yeah, because that's how they're, they're going to meet. That's how Alex and Dog are going to... Oh, my God. Dog's <laughs> going to be an like, That hadn't occurred to me. Of course, yeah. Dog, Dog was a character I had completely forgotten about until you just mentioned him. Yeah. He's a Not dog. as of next year. Not with... Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. That'll be like that'll be the thing that happens halfway through Alex that like elevates everything is you're going to have you're going to have Dog. Yeah, I mean, to your to your point, Jared, like the idea of the escort mission sort of as we've outlined it here is so much about, you know, not having control of the other character, you know, having having a character that you have no agency over and they kind of do their their thing and you're you're helping them out. And so to try to generate that same kind of experience in the multiplayer setting seems real seems real tricky because obviously someone would have agency over that that other character. So then how do you evoke those same feelings of escorting someone when that person themselves has agency i'd like to see it explored at least I, I obviously if i had the answers I'd, maybe i'd make a game but i don't yeah <laughs> so mike how can hey. how can escort missions be improved um, moving forward like how can the industry improve in the way that it implements these these ideas as we've discussed them i i think it's great where it is i think there's i'd love to see people try to bring back the fail state and that's a scary big horrific thing that could go very very mm-hmm. wrong but i would love to see some actual peril i mean that'd be really interesting to see where we're at as an industry and see if the, the advances we've made in lots of areas would make that work or whether it could work or whether you know i i look at i think it's really interesting looking at something like dark souls because it is a game that's except that, that, that has brought back a lot of stuff that the kind of traditional games industry had moved on from and said well mm-hmm. no Players don't want this. Players players want challenges, but they don't want persistent challenges. They don't want things that that cause them trouble. They want they want to kind of you know have a bit of pushback, but ultimately get through it. And, and those games have come through and, and proven a lot of that wrong. I'd be interested to see if similar could be done. If we could, if there was, if there would be a game that could kind of break the conventional wis- wisdom on this stuff, that'd be interesting. I'd like to see that. But but they'll be very brave. The people who try it for sure. Yeah, like a like a like a. Miyazaki escort mission would be pretty cool. Like, I want to play that, right? Mm-hmm. I want to see what that is. I think that'd be interesting. Yeah, I'm. I'm 100 with you. As much as, as frustrating as a lot of the old escort missions were, I think we did lose something when that that peril was taken out of the equation. 
Um, and, as, you know, things as things have improved, as you said, I would be super curious to see what someone who's trying to do the more simulation style escort mission can do with it today with, you know, mm-hmm. with some creativity and thought. Jared, how about you? How do you think the industry can improve in it in the way that it implements escort missions in games? I'm really stuck on this idea of me being the one who's escorted. And I don't I I'm I don't know what that would look like. You know, narratively, I'm thinking of something like Children of Men and how that cinematography of that movie ties in with the themes. And I would like to see someone explore that space where the power is taken away from the player something you know like i'm thinking alien isolation where you your only thing is to run and hide for the most part and solve some puzzles um how that would look if you were the one who's the most vulnerable being uh, escorted by you know the 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 hero or whatever it may be the the, the your companions that are helping you get through this um and you know, that could even be something more metaphorical you know someone going through a hard time interpersonally i'd like to see that explored a little bit and i guess for my part i'll just i'll just echo what we what we mentioned earlier is just uh addressing i guess the the biases of the the game designer as it uh as it relates to these things and uh escort missions are not are not the only thing that bias affect in games design but um interestingly as we've uncovered over discussing this this topic it is certainly an indicator of you know where games have been and where games are going but also put bring bring the peril back. Give me give me that Dark Souls escort mission that uh, that Mike was talking about. <laughs> I'm bad enough at Dark Souls. That sounds awful. <laughs> yeah, I know it sounds like a like a whole other challenge. But I, I would love to see it. I, I absolutely would. All right. If you have any questions or comments about escort missions or NPC companions, please email us at podcast at gbfeature.com or connect with us at gbfeature on Twitter. Send us your feedback. We need it. Uh, we're, we're dying to hear what everyone thinks, especially on this recently uncovered idea of, of men being in charge of the way that escort missions are designed. I, I'm curious if people have any thoughts on that. I'm or, sure or no anything. one on the internet will have any thoughts on that. <laughs> I'm pretty confident that's whatever. That's well, be a our us, listeners please. will send us well-reasoned and thought-out responses I'm sure they will. respectfully. I'm sure yeah. They will. Uh, sure they take a deep breath and then send us an email. Again, the <laughs> email address is podcast at gbfeature.com. And that's going to do it for this episode. Before we get out of here, I have to thank our guest, Mike Biffle, man. Thank you so much for being here. This has been, it's been an honor to have you on the show. It's been awesome to talk with you. Where can people find your work and how can they keep up with you? Um, keeping up with me probably is Twitter, annoyingly. I mean, you'll, you'll get far too much of an insight into my life, to be honest, if you're on my Twitter. I'm at Mike Biffle. I'm okay on there. I'm a bit, bit too talkative. I'm working on it. Um, in terms of my games, yeah, we've got lots of stuff. Uh, Thomas Was Alone, Volume, The Circular Games, all on Steam. And then we have John Wick Hex, uh, which just came out on the Epic Store and is going to be popping up other place or places uh, in the near future. So, yeah, uh, pick up my stuff. Have a play. You know what you think? Definitely do. Thomas Was Alone is obviously an absolute classic. And I read uh, I read a, a, someone tweeted the other day that it was good, but it could it, it could it was it. It was good. But in a post Celeste world, they could have done it could have done better. It was made, I think, eight years before Celeste. Um, so <laughs> but in a post Celeste world, Mike, yeah, you didn't think I about that when you you didn't think about that when you made the games. Game. <laughs> I think people think games come out the day they they play them for the first time. It's interesting. <laughs> I've seen people who've said that Thomas was alone is what is it too? It's 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 a clone of other games that have released you know several years mm. after it. It's 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 very flattering when you, you see can put that on the box. So like oh, okay, <laughs> I guess we had influence. That's good. <laughs> 
Well, it, like I said, Thomas Was Alone is an absolute classic. Everyone should. I, I mean, like, just as a matter of fact, go play that game. Just uh, what do you? If you haven't done it, go what do, do it. Do it. I mean, um, as, the, as the guy who also, gets paid every time someone does, yeah, I completely agree. <laughs> and John Wick Hex, I think, is on its way to being a classic. It's a very fun game, uh, and you can find that one on the Epic Store. Um, go check that one out too. Like I said, I, I mean, I've, I think I've already said it two or three times, but it, you, you'll you'll feel like a badass. Guaranteed. Thank you. As a reminder, we release new episodes every two weeks or somewhere in there. We try, we try our best. Uh, be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss anything. If you like what we do and you want to help us out, please head over to your podcast app of choice and give us a review. I want to thank Kyle Clark for making our theme song. You can check out his show, This Is Rad, anywhere you get your podcasts. I'm Stephen Bennett. That's at Stephen underscore the gamer on Twitter. And I'm at Jared Brunner. We want to thank you, the listener, for taking the time to listen to us chat about video games. This has been Game Breaking Feature. Remember, it's okay to disagree. Just don't be a dick about it. All right. Thank you, guys. Thanks.